0: This podcast is over at and Hi, this is Ethan Gilsdorf, author of Fantasy Freaks and Gaming Geeks, and I am thrilled that you are listening to the Save or Die podcast you-
1: Save or Die Podcast, a
0: podcast about
2: classic Dungeons and Dragons. Bring on your goblin holes and band of oaks, hawking zombies and bows, and on your patrol, don't slow me down,
0: oh no. <laughs> you two hate war games. <laughs> Who hates well, war games? Well, you used to hate
2: war games until Gary's, you yeah, know, the basement. Okay, yeah.
0: I just yeah, it wasn't was, it was never my cup of tea. It doesn't mean I hate it. <laughs> I know, I'm just playing.
2: Save or die, episode one oh two. This is your semi occasional host, DM Mike. With me is DM Jim.
0: Greetings programs.
2: And DM Liz.
1: Hello, hello. And this
2: episode we're talking about D and D cartoons. Woo-hoo! Not exactly. Yeah, not exactly the uh, animated show on Saturday mornings, but I'm sure it'll come up a time or two. But mostly stuff in Dragon Magazine and other gaming stuff. Maybe it should be called Gaming Cartoons. I guess then we'll just have to see what we did in gaming this week, Liz. Nothing. Okay. (laughs) For real? No.
1: Jim. No. It's almost for real. Um, we hey, f- we
2: played papers and paychecks. That yeah,
1: yeah, we did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we got to the end of our adventure arc. and so virtually all of yesterday's session was basically me going through the notebook and tallying up all of the, loot. Gem- yeah, all of the loot, the gems, the jewelry. The random coins, the magic items, you know. Magic
2: items we hadn't identified yet, so we identified them.
1: Yes, you know, so, you know, getting all of it together, adding totals together, figuring out how many shares it has to be divided into, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. our all, crew. That was almost all of the game session. But we had a little bit of time left afterwards, so we did the... A side adventure, so to speak, um, that Mind Flayer Oracle, who helped us towards the end of the temple adventure, and we had made a promise in exchange for its assistance to take it back home or wherever.
0: No, he- so, help me out, because I've never played in a Spelljammer setting. Mind Flayers aren't kill on sight in Spelljammer, right?
1: Not exactly. I mean, they're not the sort of race that you'd want to get all cozy with.
2: You give them a warning, then kill them. <laughs> yeah, um,
1: they're they're still, if I remember, if I recall correctly, they're still considered a little more automatically evil than, say, beholders are in Spelljammer. Um, yeah,
0: but no, like not like in a traditional dungeon, because a tra- tr- traditional dungeon, somebody says doppelganger or mind flare, and you're throwing the spell before you even think.
1: Right. And yeah. that's kind of where we were coming from, because, you know, all of our characters are from a, you know, traditional setting and have found ourselves in the, you know, the, the world or space of Spelljammer. So we've had a lot of, you know, things to learn. But anyway,
0: a lot of places to boldly go.
1: Yes, to boldly mm-hmm. go and try not to kill everyone while we're there. But um yeah, so we had we had made a promise to this creature that we would take it where it wanted to go in exchange for its assistance. So
2: mostly information.
1: Yeah. So we did, you know, and so after the papers and paycheck session, we had a small adventure where we took the ship out and we took the the mind flare to its homeworld or whatever.
0: Speaking of small adventure.
1: Yeah. Because
0: well, what's better than one mind flayer? An entire planet of mind flayers. Yes. Mind <laughs> yes.
1: The best part though, the best part, we get there, it's basically a gigantic black human skull shaped planetoid.
2: That's no moon. Just That's floating space in space. Station.
1: Yes. You know, giant black human skull. The paladin asks if he can detect evil. So
2: <laughs> not, we, we got in there first, remember? And the, and yeah. the interior of the eye socket yeah, is we full of of uh, docks for spell jamming ships, <laughs>
0: and
1: paladin then we dock. Paladin asks if he can detect evil, and Chase <laughs> just kind of looks at him and goes, "Um, yes." <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Go, Go ahead, Liz stare into forgot- the sun. Can can you stare into the sun? Sure, you can if you want to. <laughs>
2: I want to? Liz so- forgot to mention that for the two week voyage, the line flayer <clears throat> oh. provided his own provisions.
1: Hey, I wanted to leave something for you.
2: <laughs> four kobolds. Oh, Liz, which are all his his loving servants, oh, and as the trip goes on, so there's three. <laughs> Then there's two.
1: <laughs> and by the time we get to the giant skull, there's only one poor little kobold left. Was
0: <laughs> what, what, the last one left named Renfield, by any chance? Probably. He didn't name them. You don't so, like getting too
2: attached, I guess. Yes. Yeah. But then he invite to thank us for bringing him there. He invited us to a feast.
1: <laughs> and we're going... Um,
0: <laughs> no, thank you, we're <laughs> fine, so... I, I already saw the Temple of Doom, no thank you.
1: Yes.
2: Now, he's bringing us takeout.
1: Yes, yeah, so, since we would not accept his hospitality, <laughs> you know, allow me to give you a gift.
0: Kobold brings he, in a doggy bag.
1: <laughs> not, not quite. If not only. Not So, we wait... Yeah, a few a few minutes later, you know, six or eight humans, you know, wearing robes and tunics and stuff come up and they're all together carrying this huge giant, you know, clay crock with a lid on it and steam is seeping out of the edges of it. And they deposit it on our ship and my character is asking, "What is this?" And they said, we don't know. We were just told to bring it. So anyway, we... By the
2: way, all the humans on this station are bald.
1: <laughs>
2: Probably because mind players don't like hair. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: want to have easy access to, to the brains. <laughs> um, anyway, so we get it's, the hell it's, out it's of the ha- It's
0: just like chicken. It's healthier without the skin. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Boneless, skinless. Brainless. Yeah so we we take off, and as soon as you know we're pretty much out of sight of the giant floating skull, the paladin takes off the lid <laughs> to see what's inside. It's a jo- it's a beholder. They have steamed and stewed a beholder. And, and cut just,
0: the top off his head. So you oh. could
1: see the brain so, inside.
0: So did your magic user just go, everybody back off here in my component spell components for the next year? <laughs> no, if only. No.
2: no. We threw it off the ship, and then my character fireballed it, to be sure. <laughs> it's
1: like, they were Although, probably they were probably ruined anyway after all the seasonings and spices and stuff that had been added to it anyhow. Although
2: after she did, she thought, "Damn, I should have got a couple of the teeth to put in my necromancer oh, bag." You've oh, already well.
1: got two beholder teeth in your necromancer bag. That'd
2: be two more teeth. That's two more beholders.
1: Cindriana has a problem.
2: I don't have a problem. Yes, you she do. She can quit anytime she wants.
1: Sure. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Anyway. So, so yeah, there we go. Unfortunately, that's our D&D gaming no classic. Waiting for Teeman to get his new campaign together hopefully and maybe we can start popping in on that again.
0: Sweet. So, what have you been up to? Oh my god, I just got back uh this past week from uh Yukon in Ipsilania, Michigan where uh yeah. I was invited to be a guest and it was awesome. Uh Apparently, UConn is this Ypsilanti game convention that's a lot like CincyCon here in Cincinnati. It's been going on in one form or another since the 80s, but this year they uh, just added an OSR track. And a gentleman named uh, Ryan Thompson was put in charge of that, and uh, he recruited uh, me, Doug Kovacs, and Roy Snyder uh, from Goodman Games, and uh, Tim Snyder from Goblinoid Games. And a lot of the local old-school crew up there, uh, Adam Miskevich um, from the Metal Gods or ur dad and we just rocked the place. We're, we're, yeah, I mean,
2: <laughs> that was a good episode. I really enjoyed listening to it.
0: There was a huge Pathfinder presence there, and some of them couldn't help but filter into our games. I ran uh, two playtests of Mutant Crawl classics, including an adventure that I hadn't publicly playtested for first-level uh, adventures, and they tpk twice. twice. <laughs> my character funnel actually had some characters come out the other side, but the uh, first-level uh, adventure. I may need to retool a little bit because <laughs> I, I've play tested it but with my group who are used to how I run games. You know, stick it poke everything three or four times before you try it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Better yet, get someone else to poke it.
0: <laughs> get a henchman to poke it. So that that poor group, they uh they, they, they complete they just made a couple of minor strategic errors early in the adventure and got and got outgunned and outmanned and just blown to shreds. And that was like an hour into it. And they, they paid three bucks a ticket to sit at the game table. So I'm sitting there thinking, well, crap, what do I do now? Okay, I'm going to go out and smoke. I'll be right back. I come back and I go, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to continue the adventure in universe 1148B with the, <laughs> the quantum doppelganger, parallel doppelgangers of your party. So everybody erase all your damage and all your spell burn. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Point two.
0: And let's let's just start over after that encounter and uh You then,
2: all get out of the shower and none <laughs> of this happened.
0: And then and then had a lot of fun until they uh got trapped in this uh temple that unbeknownst to them flew and they they'd gotten to the big bad boss who was guarded by uh four hard light holograms and those of us uh, who are red dwarf watchers know what's up with hardlight oh, holograms, but oh, the
2: oh, no J. Rima.
0: That's right, but the nine of them decided that the holograms were being emitted by some kind of tech in the walls and proceeded to shoot the controls of the flying temple all to shreds. So, oh dear, if you're gonna TPK, make a crater. That's one. Of those. Yeah, <laughs> make yeah. a big crater.
1: Go big or go home.
0: That's right. So it was just all kinds of fun and all kinds of awesome sauce.
2: Well, I remember in the side adventure. Uh, that Ryan guy was saying that the OSR track had done pretty well and UConn was going to do it again next year?
0: Yeah, everything I heard, I mean, the reaction was wonderful. We were uh, running all kinds of tables. Um, I mean, it's not like we dominated the con or anything because it was the new track, but uh, plenty of of interest to do it again and expand it further. Cool. So that was my week in gaming. Cool. My favorite thing about con games, I, I mean... Like I was saying when we were off air, how you can have the best group possible, but you've still got that one guy, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, both both my groups were awesome, except for the one guy, right? Yeah. And, and I like it when I can handle that situation and keep the game pleasant and fun for everybody else because my groups were wonderful. I mean, the the age spread went from my age down to nine years old. There was a nine-year-old kid there playing with his dad. His dad was just there to support him. I'm like bullshit here's some character sheets you're playing too so i was supposed to be eight people and i ran it up to like 10 or 12 and uh the little nine-year-old this is what i like about judging at the beginning of the game he was so shy and bent over his character sheet you could hardly hear him say what he wanted to do and by the end of the game he's standing up waving his arms you know that's awesome stabbing people (laughs) and that that's why i do what i do i love that sweet
2: well good maybe a Getting a a, a nine-year-old into the right mindset for OSR gaming. I think that was how old I was.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) maybe his dad, too. I'd say the majority of the players I had had played DCC before, but there were maybe, I don't know, 25% of both tables were just coming straight from Pathfinder over and and, and had a great time.
2: See, OSR isn't bad. You can have your characters killed and still have fun.
0: Well, that, that panel discussion that we did on as a save or die episode that was almost a, a room that room was a whole different composition that was like two-thirds like new school gamers who were there showing genuine, genuine interest and coming in with some prejudices that I hope we dispelled
2: okay well I think that's cool and hopefully they'll have you on as a guest next year alright well in that case do we have any emails Liz
1: oddly enough yes we do
0: Get down, get down Get down, get down The, the save, save or Die, die. Email Hot, Hot Tub, tub time, time Machine Come here, you scrumptious little beauty Here I go once again with the email Every week i hope that it from a female Oh, man!
1: Uh, Keeping it kind of light today, um, only got two emails, but they're both pretty good size. Um, Our first one is from Joshua DeSanto. Ah, Genius Loci. Yes, he says, hey, Sod Crew, this is Joshua over at Genius Loci, and I hope this message finds you all well. I just wanted to put my two cents in on a letter you all responded to in the recent second edition of the email hot tub time machine, I believe the question was asked by a gentleman by the name of Jim Wolfe, but I could be wrong, and it dealt with the reality versus the fantasy of armor. While I prefer my Ren Faire and LARPing armor to be realistic, let it be known I do neither of these, but I do enjoy watching and attending, <laughs> I have no such qualms in a game of pure imagination. I've never had to deal with the chainmail bikini, as most of my players usually played males. I have, however, had a ranger named Tars. However, in my recent games, which are primarily played by my nine-year-old daughter and her friends, Speaking of (laughs) nine-year-olds, I have had to accept a great deal of fantasy over realistic armor.
0: At nine, they want my little pony armor.
1: (laughs) For example, my daughter plays a human fighter, Barbarian in name, named Barbara the Barbarian.
0: That is awesome!
1: <laughs> who wears leather armor. If you would ask my daughter to describe what Barbara wears, she would describe in exacting detail Sailor Moon.
0: Oh, see, Liz, there you go. It's
2: a leather mini
0: skirt.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Her friend, who plays a wizard named the Physician, would describe the Fourth Doctor. Oh, that is even more <laughs> awesome! <laughs>
0: So, so may, parenting, you're doing it right.
1: <laughs> While I may wish and want them to be more realistic and in step with the traditional clothing of the period slash genre, I feel that in doing so, I take the most important element of the game away from them, self-conceived imagination. In my opinion, that is an important aspect of the game, and the share and the sharing of that self-conceived imagination with others and the mingling of many such imaginations inspires and grows the game into a living and breathing place of its own i do not think this is limited to just children and adults need this as well as long as no one at the table is offended, and as long as the player in question is not using the chance to reinforce negative stereotypes or gender roles, I see no reason for anyone to disallow a player from running around in a chainmail bikini, a loincloth, or whatever the silver-haired woman in heavy metal was wearing.
0: Oh my. Not much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for another great show with episodes 96 and 97. Can't wait to hear more.
0: Oh well thank you
2: for sharing yeah. that. <laughs> nice to work in a tarna reference in there I the I know. Well, I again I, I feel like it gets down to know your group, you know, and if your group wants armor to be extremely realistic, like there used to be a guy in my group, uh Robert, who was part of the reenactment group we were in, and he was all about sword fighting and buying plate mail and helmets and everything and he got really into detail describing what his plate armor looked like
1: oh yeah at one point he even he has family in germany that he occasionally goes to visit grandparents and such and he would go to germany say for christmas visit his grandparents while he's in and around nuremberg he would buy actual armor from an armorer in Nuremberg and bring it back with him. So, that, that was the kind of guy he was. That was how seriously he took his armor.
2: <laughs> but conversely, I didn't expect the re- everybody to do that to their characters. You know, if you want to
0: do it, great. If not, that's okay.
2: And, you know, when you're gaming with kids, you've really got to cut a lot of slack, I would think.
0: Well, I, I really like the through point of what Joshua was trying to say, because good uh, GMing in general is about always finding a way to always say yes to your players. Because the the through point is encouraging an active imagination. Mm-hmm. And that's not just for kids. That's for everybody at your table.
2: Well, it could be argued as an extension of the anybody can try anything, which I think is part of old school. You may not succeed, but you can try it. It's in it's, the DM comes up with an arbitrary you know resolution method
0: yeah i mean as long as you and your group are having fun i don't care what you do really um but where it becomes where this issues like this do become important to me is uh, things that i write or draw or produce personally as a personal belief system i want to depict um you know strong women not yeah not uh you know vegas dancers i i i that's my taste, and I feel uh I'm a feminist, so I feel a responsibility to do that to set to set a model up but I even mean, that like i he mean says at
1: the end, you know as long as no one is trying you know specifically trying to reinforce negative stereotypes or gender roles, I guess if your group is fine with it and nobody is feeling offended and nobody at your table is you know looking at this like. You know well, I'm using this chainmail bikini stuff to you know put down the girl playing in the group or whatever. Um, you yeah, i I think there are, there are good ways and there are bad ways to do just about anything.
2: <laughs> or worse, the guy who's playing a girl character and insists that she wears tarna armor or that sort of thing
0: i want to put a really fine point on what i'm saying just so we don't get another email from lloyd metcalf because i love lloyd <laughs> and i and, and I, I don't want to needlessly aggravate him by uh, being unclear <laughs> you know what i choose to do in my art is what i choose to do am am i you know jim wampler going to go up to larry elmore to convention and try and lecture him on what he should and should be painting his female characters. Hell no, I'm not going to do that because he likes what he's doing. Thousands of other people like what he's doing. And I got no dog in that hunt.
2: Again, it's, you know, your audience, whether it's your game or, you know, people buying your
1: art. And I'm just thrilled that you've got a wider range to choose from now when it comes to fantasy art. You know, there was a time when, over 90% of it was the chainmail bikini or the topless girl clinging to the leg of the fighter. And now you've just got the whole gamut, you know, lots of different artists depicting lots of different styles. And so, you know, I would say as a female who's been gaming for quite some time now, there's been a big shift and it's a very positive one. Yeah, so I'm quite pleased.
2: Cool. Hope that helped or we appreciate your input. <laughs> I think we
0: ended up
1: relatively agreeing. And I'm kind of jealous of your daughter's game and I wish I could play. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean that that sounds like a live play podcast that almost has to happen. <laughs> Actual play, yeah, definitely. Okay. Okay. Listen.
1: And our second email is from Alexander Davis. Alexander writes, Greetings, sodcasters. Hello. I thought I sent an email earlier, but I guess I didn't. So, here are some thoughts about earlier in your impressive discussions. In the 90s of your episodes, you ladies and gentlemen were speaking of good-aligned thieves. How about a follower of Thoth who knows what he is doing in recovering the secrets of the ancients? Or even a highly trained and cunning Boy Scout sort of idea. Or someone who claims to be a sneaky ranger like in the Taco edition.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He said it for you, dude. Yeah.
1: (laughs) What about the neutral paladins called Avengers in Beckme? Sure, it's something you have to be at least ninth level to take advantage of, but it allows any fighter to dedicate themselves to an alignment or church and tie into the world. Blink Dog on a Leash? Yeah, he'll be on the leash and just blinks it with them. After all, it isn't as if the leash laws state the leash needs to be in the hands of a humanoid. (laughs) In episode 81, you ladies and gentlemen were talking about the expedition to the Barrier Peak's weapons, needing to be within one mile of the spaceship. Jolly Blackburn had a tourney in Knights of the Dinner Table, and those weapons showed up because... The team excavated the entire ship and put it in a bag-slash-portable hole to take with them, which I liked for its problem-solving issues. In straight basic, that might not happen, but on an alternate-slash-home-ruled universe, well, it could be fun.
0: See, that's what I'm talking about. If my players came up with that idea, I would be honor-bound to say, yes, you can. (laughs) Although I might
2: argue that because a bag of holding or a portable hole is a pocket dimension... Thus, by you know, you can put it in there, but it's in another dimension. It's not really there on the prime material with you. But I'm a jerk, so. You know.
1: <laughs> what if you had the bag open? Maybe, well, maybe.
0: I mean, we're all thinking the same way. You just got to balance the the scales somehow. There's got there's got to be dire repercussions to world conquering power, <laughs> yeah. right? Right.
1: Anyway, he goes on. How about thinking of Guardians of the Flame as the ultimate cautionary tale for mixing science and fantasy? What happens when a player is allowed to bring in all his knowledge of the real world into a basic fantasy world? My brother did run across a campaign in the 90s, wherein a 1990s-era doctor of medical science as opposed to a blue box doctor, Mm -hmm. ended up in a medieval world, and he was adventuring to try and find his way back to the real world. In Sod 78, the Sodcasters mention cutting off hands and taking out an eye for the Vecna bits. But there's a Moorcock character who loses his hand and eye and has them replaced with the missing bits of gods, then goes on to adventure.
2: That's much better.
1: So there is that story that Gygax and some players may have been thinking of. Gygax just twisted it to being a pain in the ass. (laughs) In in Sod 77, how about giving Valerian steel bonuses to increase the number of followers a fighter could have? That would be an incredible bonus, non-magical, and ties into valued wealth. After all, who doesn't need more followers? It doesn't increase their combat prowess directly— And for some, it would be unvalued, but it could make the players seem more powerful to NPCs rather than just magic. Well, that's a lot of ideas you've thrown at us, Alexander.
0: (laughs) 20-odd episodes worth.
1: Oh my gosh, yeah.
0: Hey, Uh, thanks for listening and paying attention to us ramble on about all that crap. (laughs) (laughs) Now we have to remember it. Um,
2: Regarding the thief and the collection of antiquities in our 2E game... A couple of years ago, a guy joined for a while and that's exactly what he did. His his thief was an archaeologist. It belongs in a museum. <laughs> he just didn't mention that it was his museum.
0: I was going to ask permission to put in a plug for a new uh, OSRE-ish flavored podcast I've started listening to that touches on one of these subjects okay um having just come from yukon i discovered that adam miskevich and a guy named don stroud have a brand new podcast it just started last m- month called drink spin and run and on the most recent uh episode of that they had tim callahan on who's one of the dcc writers and they put a very fine point on what throws people off about genre mixing in uh, D. although you could fan it out to everything like that and i think what they just, what they talked it to was in the old days in the 70s it was more uh science fantasy being blended than than hard science fiction and that that didn't seem to cause anybody a problem and they used as example star wars star wars is not really science fiction it's just a fantasy that looks like science fiction because they're in spaceships mm-hmm. And i thought that was yeah. just the, the, the most excellent point that the that's that throws people much more Less for a loop than if you're going through a dungeon and suddenly there are Nazis and panzer tanks. Something, mm-hmm. some, some very literal transposition.
2: Yeah. yeah, I could see that.
0: Not that I have any particular problem with Nazis and panzer tanks showing up in a dungeon, but that's me. Yeah, soup to taste. All right, well... Wow, I ground of- it all to a halt, sorry.
2: <laughs> no, I was I was trying to think back on that letter to say, is there anything we didn't really discuss?
1: we uh, talks about Guardians of the Flame... Yeah. Um, the um, Vecna stuff, the Moorcock character.
2: Right. And um, Moorcock did, did a lot of stuff that was taken for D&D. So, yeah, I mean, could very well be
0: the basis of the Vecna stuff. I forget who I was talking to. It might be John Peterson. I was saying <laughs> that all the only way I knew to run an elf in, when I started playing D&D was to run them like Elric. And he's like, that's who they based elves on.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I remember reading that and playing at the world, that kind of the half and half. Which is interesting, since the El- Elric was originally designed to being the per- absolute anti-Conan.
0: And forget about Chainmail Bikinis. Any fantasy game is better with more cock.
2: Yeah. And wasn't there something about...
0: <laughs> oh,
2: come on.
1: <laughs> no, I'm no. Not
2: ta- I'm not going there. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs>
1: Crispy did it best.
0: Yeah. <laughs> As he often does. But a pale imitation.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right. Well, uh, we have a voicemail, do we not? Yes. Let's play that. Hey, I'm um, just a quick point. I'm going the website. Um, it's a down the right coin. You have some links to one third. I'm not sure what the other one is. It's uh, linked to yourgamesnow.com.
1: It's a quick point of action. It's a great way to address those domain yeah, anyway, your show, your work, and that's it.
2: Thanks. Thanks for the call. Um, well, you're the web guru. What?
1: <laughs> <Well, laughs> oh, is that a buck I hear being passed?
0: It is. <laughs> well, it's okay because I'm just going to pass it right along. <laughs> um, thank you for letting us know that. I checked it, and you're absolutely right. Those are carryover links in the sidebar from an older version of the website, and they used to work. They don't anymore, and normally it would be five minutes' work for me to go in there and just yank those out, but uh, one of the other people with access to the website has made some code changes. that I couldn't fix that easily uh, this evening as we record this, but I will um, get in there and fix it, and thanks for letting us know about it. That's
1: right. We want to keep on top of these things. (laughs) We really do.
0: (laughs) Uh, Oh, and see, I did that without passing the buck to uh, Vince at all. Oops. Yeah, Yeah. you didn't even mention him.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, before we get into the subject of the show, I just wanted to give a quick shout out, speaking of new shows and such, um, for any of our listeners who aren't getting enough uh, DM Glenn on Thaco's Hammer, he's doing two extra projects now. One is the Brainstorm podcast at brainstorm.info. And a YouTube channel doing a show called Old Man Grognard. I don't know the exact link on that one, but we will put them in the show notes. So
0: We will. And Old Man Grognard does exactly what it says on the tin.
2: Yeah. It's it's all Old Man Grognard telling you kids to get off his lawn,
0: like we all enjoy doing. That's right. That's what the graphic says. It's got Glenn going, get off my battle mat, you kids. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So keep up with what Glenn is doing, because it's cool stuff.
2: Yeah. Alright, well, let's head on into the show itself.
0: What are you doing? It's game time. I think I play too much. People say it's weird. We should cut back. That's insane. Game, Mrs. Hudson is on. Okay! Game on! Game on! Game on! In-
2: on! Or game cartoon on, I guess. <laughs> wow, well, Jim, this was your episode idea.
0: <laughs> gonna talk say, to us. Whose dumb idea was it to do a whole episode about <laughs> D&D comics?
2: Well, it, well,
0: it's the cartoonist! Get him!
2: <laughs> besides the obvious silliness of the blind guy coordinating the talk about cartoons.
1: <laughs> oh, like you don't remember any of them.
2: I remember till about 1990, 89 or so. But anyway, so...
0: I, I, you know, within arm's reach, I have a set of the Phineas Fingers miniatures. So even were I to lose my sight, I could still, you know, like finger those miniatures and go, oh, this guy's got a bazooka for a magic wand.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it was weird. It was about four years ago. I was buying some games from a guy on Dragon's Foot and he was, he had a set of those Phineas Fingers Gold plated minis. And he was saying, you know, give me 80 bucks and they're yours. And I'm like, I don't need minis. 70 bucks and they're yours. That's now, a good, that's I a good price for those. Don't really want to. 60 bucks and I'll pay shipping. Oh, all right. So I got them. I haven't used, and I'm glad I did now because, you know, I'm sure as collectibles, they're great. But
1: uh, at yeah. the time, we were kind of tight on cash. So it was like, I I know this is a good deal, but we really can't afford even a good deal right now. And then I
2: had to go explain (laughs) to Liz why I I I bought, what, 12 more minis or so. (laughs) But they're
1: uh, plated.
0: You of all people have one of the world's most understanding wives about that kind of thing.
1: I say, okay, as long as you're cool with us eating peanut butter and ramen for the next week, then. (laughs)
2: Not at the same time.
0: (laughs) Dude, I mean, they're too expensive when and if they pop up on ebay they're too expensive for me now i got mine because uh i last christmas i decided to give tim a a copy of the dcc rule book because i was trying to interest him into maybe writing some stuff for that system and he and you know that big ass book he's just like oh well, i didn't get you anything hang on and he comes over with this little vietnam uh war era cigar box that he's been toting around forever he goes here and he gave me a set I'm like, this is like the best Christmas present I ever got in my whole life. Thank you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, cool. But yeah, no,
0: we got them. My premise that I based this all on was people uh, who are of the generation who collected Dragon Magazine can generally be determined by when they started collecting Dragon Magazine by what their favorite comic was, because most of us first thing we did when we got a new issue was flip it open to the back and read the comics, just like the Sunday mm-hmm. paper.
2: Yeah. My fave was what's new with Phil and Dixie easily. Yeah. And I was young enough to really think that maybe this issue it <laughs> could be the sex of D art. Maybe
0: well, do we want to start with our favorites, or try and cover them in chronological appearance order?
2: Uh, let's do chronological first, and then we can talk about faves, I think.
0: I Are you, are you a strategic review guy?
2: Uh, no, I started collecting Dragon when it was in the 40s, so I didn't actually start with strategic review. That's something I came to later.
0: I thought maybe you just had studied it as a wargamer more.
2: No, no, I... At that time, if somebody else wasn't buying them and letting me read them, I didn't generally get to look at them. I was going to
1: say, you kind of um, collect them now, don't you? Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah, I've got a bunch of strategic reviews.
0: Well, Um, you're a professor. You're a smart guy. I just was hoping you were an expert on strategic review because the first comic that appeared in a TSR publication was in strategic review, and it came over to the first couple issues of Dragon called Dirt. And it's just a little simple – three-panel cartoon, but it's only ever credited to just plain Jake. And I was hoping maybe, I bet John Peterson would know, if you knew who Jake was. I mean, was that Not Gar- a clue. Gary Jaquette, who 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 was Jake?
2: Not a clue, I fear.
0: Well, we'll just skip over that one, because it was lousy anyway. <laughs> but it was first. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Apologies, Jake, if you're listening. <laughs> well,
0: I mean, it took place in the dungeon in the dark, so it was panels of black with little eyeballs and word balloons. That's kind of... That's genius. <laughs> of a sort. As far
2: as ease of ease of having to draw, that's that's awesome. But anyway.
0: So after dirt, then starting with Dragon Number Three comes Phineas Fingers. Who's Woo-hoo. those of us of a certain older gamer age remember remember quite fondly.
2: Are we gonna talk about it or
0: Oh shall shall I lead the discussion?
2: I <laughs> well, I didn't uh, know if you were gonna go through the entire chronology and then we were gonna go talk about our faves or
1: or do we mention them and then discuss and then go to the next one?
0: Well, okay. I, I limited it to, with one exception, comics that appeared in the first 100 issues, since this is a, a old-school D&D broadcast. Uh, but, uh, okay. And, and surely someone will write me if I got the chronology wrong, but I've got it as uh, Dirt by Jake was first, then starting with Dragon number three was Phineas Fingers. Which ran to issue fifty-four and then jumped over to Adventure Gaming issues four to thirteen. Uh, next was Wormy, which started with Dragon number nine and ran all the way to one thirty-two. I know Liz probably liked this one. Then came Jasmine by Darlene.
1: Yeah, although I didn't get I didn't get into Jasmine until later. Um, I started collecting. Was it
0: the game first and then the, go back to the comic?
1: Uh... Well, I started getting Dragon Magazine with, if I remember correctly, it was either issue 51 or 52, because it was toward the end of Phineas Fingers when I first started reading. There were maybe two or three, you know, strips in the back, and then it was gone. And I'm like, what? What? (laughs) (laughs) um
0: the 40s was a good time to start because i think they knew they were losing jd webster and phineas and they were trying out a whole bunch so there's a little brief period in there where phineas wormy jasmine uh and what's new were all simultaneous to each other just like for a handful of issues they were all in there Mm
1: -hmm. um i remember i really enjoyed my favorite artists were you know darlene with jasmine i loved tramp's art with wormy and the What's New art um, with, you know, Phil and Dixie, um, th- those were, those were my, my, my three big ones. Um, I was interested in the Phineas finger storyline, even though I came in at the very end before it went away. Um, but I, I will admit I didn't care for the art of Phineas as much as I did, you know, Wormy and the others that I saw in there. Um, But going back and reading Phineas after the fact, um, you know, it really grows on you. And it's just got its own special flavor that I think if the art had been different, I'm not sure it would just feel the same, you know?
2: Kind of like Knights of the Dinner Table.
1: Yeah, like Knights of the Dinner Table or, you know, even, you know, Errol Otis's art. You know, back when I first started gaming and I was a kid, I didn't care for his art at all. And now that I'm an adult, you know, it's cool. It's iconic, you know, and it's got a real style that, you know, 11-year-old me could not appreciate.
0: I'm right there with you. Uh, Errol Otis is exactly like Steve Ditko to me. As a a very young person, it was too idiosyncratic for me to really, really like. And now as an Mm -hmm. adult, it's like the coolest thing on earth.
2: Okay. After Jasmine would be...
0: For three issues, there was something called Pensum that uh, when we were buying dragons right off the shelf, we immediately just hated it was a uh, a guy named Steve Swenston doing his very best mid seventies Marvel comic style Ah, uh,
1: I don't even remember that
0: he had the cover the first issue- just like Jasmine the first issue there uh-huh. was a pensum he had the cover mm-hmm. which would have been issue forty six
1: yeah and that was that was before I started getting it so
0: phil foglio did it the opposite way he was already just doing covers and then talked him into a comic strip (laughs) and are we going to take this all the way up to snarf quest oh why not (laughs)
2: because that was around the time i stopped collecting dragon magazine
0: yeah snarf
1: quest was one of the last new ones that i saw too when knights of the dinner table came into dragon i had stopped collecting it by then Oh, yeah.
0: yeah, Nights at the Dinner Table was way later after Shadis uh, ceased publication, yeah. so like starting Dragon 226, something like that.
2: <sighs> okay, well.
0: As, a, as opposed to like Wormy, which ran from 9 to 132. Well, that, that already takes you almost all the way through the 80s.
2: Yeah. All right, well, that pretty much gets us to the 100-ish, like you said. So, um, start with, I guess, Phineas Fingers.
0: That would be my favorite. That's your favorite of, of the Dragon Comics.
2: I agree; it's got its own little style. Um.
1: Uh, um, reading back the 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 older issues of Phineas, you know, in the collection, I don't know if I would have appreciated it as much as I do now, if I'd been collecting, you know, back around eleven or so. Reading it as an adult, you know, I'm seeing the Monty Python references. I'm seeing all these in jokes that. I just would have totally missed out on, you know, reading it as a kid. You know, I I I love Phineas now. I don't. I really don't know that I would have gotten the full, the full experience of Phineas as an eleven or twelve year old reading it.
2: It, it part of what I liked. It was the first cartoon that I felt really was being drawn by somebody who played D and D. Bingo. If that makes any sense. You beat I mean, me
0: to it. I was going to compare and contrast. Phineas Fingers with What's New. Both strips I love, but what you just said is why I prefer Phineas.
2: Ah, Yeah, I mean, this is obviously somebody who's played a lot of D&D and knows kind of the little idiosyncrasies within the system, and at least the old versions.
0: And and not just D&D, towards more your gaming-style preferences, somebody that was in that generation that played hardcore war games and D&D, both.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like I said, just had... uh, And the... Evil wizard cask <laughs> <laughs> who was featured in there. I wonder who that would be.
0: Tim's hilarious when you ask him about that because he's like, JD came in one day and said, I've got the new strip and I put you in it and there's this wizard called cask who doesn't look a damn thing like me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Copyright. What do you what do you want? Yeah. But yeah. it had some fun stuff, you know, the the wizard with the wand of magic missiles that looked like a Thompson machine gun.
0: Um, and a rifle sight on his magic missile finger.
2: <laughs> yeah, and uh, and of course the Hobbit Thieves Guild taking over the town. I the the one that sticks in my mind is the one of the you know they the town hired a anti paladin to come in to clear out the Hobbit Guild, and it said after the anti paladin rode through a crowd of small children, his saddle mysteriously came loose on the horse where he fell into the city fountain and fell onto his sword and dagger 137 times unfortunately he was not to be saved bad
0: luck (laughs) tell you my favorite joke in the entire run of phineas is three or four episodes after the dragon has shoved the paladin off the edge of the cliff by going look there's some treasure and the paladin dumb paladin looks over the cliff and he just knocks him over like three episodes later the Paladin, they go back to him, and he's just climbing back up to the edge of the cliff, going, "You big liar! There was no treasure down there." <laughs>
1: <laughs> Are you sure? I could have sworn I saw it.
0: <laughs> but you, you talked about why Phineas holds the special place in my part, in my heart. I mean, Phil Foglio is a genius. What's new with Phil and Dixie? Awesome comic. Phil didn't write that comic t- to me like he did a lot of gaming. I'm sure he did. He must have because he was doing D and D comics. But it was kind of like the outsider looking in writing voice, and J.D. Webster was clearly one of us. Phineas was written and drawn by somebody who was like one of us, and that comes out in the strip somehow. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, and I have no idea if it's true or not, but I do. agree with you that while I think Phil Folio was a gamer, he may have been one of those that just never liked D&D. But hey, you know, Dragon's a paycheck.
0: (laughs) Well, funny is funny. His strip is hilarious.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, that was... That was my favorite, is you know all the different coverings, especially when they would make fun of – obviously make fun of certain games without actually calling them the real names, something that Knights of the Dinner Table does still to this day. And I just liked his style. I mean, I really enjoyed later when I was reading Robert Asprin's Myth Adventures, and I think it was around book three or four, he started doing all the illustrations
0: of oh, the book. Oh, hell yeah. And, and, and a, I, comic, a comic novelization of the first book.
2: Yeah. I'm like, this is awesome. This is just awesome. That's my fave, what about you, Liz? Uh,
1: Phil and Dixie had been my favorite as well. um I always thought they were they were really funny well done and
2: <laughs> you chose correctly no. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you, know, and like i said i think I think the eleven or twelve year old me would not have had the appreciation of Phineas that the forty five year old me does now. Um, At the time, I hadn't seen any Monty Python stuff. I wouldn't have gotten any of those jokes. I mean, I would have thought they were funny, but I wouldn't have realized, hey, that's Monty Python. You know, hey, he's kind of, you know, making a reference to Get Smart here. You know, all that stuff, you know, would have just gone over my head. But, you know, I could get Phil and Dixie and talking about the different games, talking about the... Tolkien estate with the gold, the circular band. <laughs> it's like, yes, we can't say ring <laughs> at TSR. We have to say the circular, circular band. band. Yes, the phone is circular banding. <laughs> um,
0: well, J.D. Webster got in his shots at Tolkien. Ru- uh, Ranger Rupert, who has the sword that was broken in twain and he draws it out and it's half a sword. He goes, oh, damn, I forgot to get that fixed. I forgot to get the elves to fix that. Uh, uh, yeah. I forget that there's an age difference between us of eight or nine years. So do you think being 10 when these things were coming out affected your opinion of Wormy? Because I always adored Wormy right from the start.
1: I loved the art of Wormy. Wormy and was I always
0: beautifully read, done.
1: Yes, and I always read Wormy. I didn't understand what was happening a lot of the time in Wormy, but I would faithfully go and read it and try to figure out, you know, what's with all the floating pool balls? <laughs> like, <laughs> what's going on?
2: Okay, are they gaming an RPG <laughs> or a war game or are they playing pool? Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay, now we're totally away from that. And what? Yeah. Although I did, you know, it was only recently when we were getting ready for this episode that I realized that the black winged panther that the wizard wrote in one of the issues I saw was named Sala Mariah, which is Chris Gonerman's web name. And I always wondered where he got that from. And it's like, oh, yeah. Okay. He got it from Wormy. Aha. So,
0: yeah, Wormy was not about as, as much about being funny as it was about these sort of humorous character studies and uh dave trampier never ever did a recap hardly ever i mean like in the first couple episodes he he did a, did a, a nod to that but you had to keep up with it or you never even keeping up with it sometimes it was hard to figure out what was going on
2: okay so it wasn't just us
0: oh no you could but miss yeah. a couple issues and go well where's this wizard coming from and why is he floating you know in mm-hmm. the astral plane oh well cause yeah. two issues back he got his ass kicked
1: yeah, <laughs> and I think that was also part of my problem. When I was first getting Dragon, I didn't have a subscription and I wasn't getting them regularly. Yeah. So there would be big gaps in my Dragon magazine collection. And so I'd read say, you know, Wormy in issue 51 and then the next issue I had was issue 56. So it's like I have no idea what's going on, but it still looks cool. You know, <laughs>
2: Which I guess was part of the appeal of the um, What's News is they were almost always self-encapsulating.
0: Yes, yes. Do, Um, do, Do a topic, do all the jokes for a page, get in, get out.
2: Right. So if you miss an issue, it's not a big deal.
0: Liz, you just reminded me of one of my favorite Tom Wom cartoons that was a house ad in The Old Dragon. It's got two of these Tom Wom aliens with their flying saucer parked outside a a hobby store that has a sign that says Sold Out a Dragon, and they're poring over this map going, (laughs) oh, the next hobby store is 18 trillion light years away. Maybe we should try this black hole.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Don't miss out. Get a subscription.
0: (laughs) I didn't put it in the show notes. We should talk about Tom Wom because he actually had a couple of uh, cartoons that appeared in support of the games there were a couple of old uh snit cartoons and awful green things from awful outer space. green things
2: yeah that's true
1: uh i loved his art when he would do the art for some of the in magazine pullout games uh, like in search for the emperor's treasure stuff like that
2: flight of the boodles mm-hmm. I mean, cool cool stuff
0: his art carried the humor in the depiction of the characters does that make sense like, oh, yeah. The little banana guy, the little banana-shaped <laughs> guy who's just one of the aliens on Awful Green Things from Outer Spaceship.
2: Or, yeah, well, I mean, he did several of the strips in the Dungeon Master's Guide for a certain advanced game that's Taco. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: but it's certainly of the era.
0: So it yes. seems, seems like we're kind of all in agreement on uh, Phineas Wormy and what's new.
2: yeah. I would think I would have liked Jasmine, but I never got enough issues to really keep with it. I mean, it it, it appeared, was only around a few issues, and then went away. Although, I, if I remember it correctly, it was almost like you had a drawn picture and then a lot of text.
0: It was right. Darlene kind of trying to do the old Prince Valiant thing, where it was like illustration and narrated text box.
2: Sort of Steve Canyony or... Yeah, yeah. That sort of thing, yeah.
1: Uh, and um, I don't know if anyone listening is familiar with this comic, which um uh put out independently by a guy named Mark Oakley, but it was called Thieves and Kings, and you can still you know see it online um if you look for it um but he did a lot of the same sort of thing with a lot of text you know married to you know comic style illustrations and he had some great page layouts you know especially in some of the earlier issues of Thieves and Kings um but yeah i'm pretty sure you can um you can find them online i just need to just need to get you the the web address but yeah he does the same kind of thing and it's it's cool stuff
0: well thank you for reminding me for what i should have said at the top of the show because we're talking on a podcast which is just our voices about comic strips many of which appeared 30 years ago. So what good does that do our listeners? In the show notes, <laughs> we'll have links to, there are places online where you can read the entire canon of Phineas Fingers, almost every episode of Wormy. All, uh, Phil Foglow himself has put up all the old What's News. And uh, we haven't gotten a Snarf Quest yet, but the, you can still buy that collection either on eBay or for or directly from Larry Elmore, very cheaply. And we'll put don't all worry. that on the webpage.
2: Yeah, don't worry. We're taking care of you guys. <laughs> Although speaking of uh SnarfQuest.
0: I mean like Crispy, if, if if somebody Crispy's age is listening, they don't know the hell about Finnish figures. Quite true. Fingers.
2: Quite true. Um, so we'll we'll give you all those access.
1: Don't worry, points. we got your back.
2: Yep. <laughs> don't worry, Home Slice. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Don't SnarfQuest. Do I love Larry Elmore's art. I love his women even if they all have the same face. Easy it's a great face. But it's a great face. It, it looks great, but I just couldn't get into Snarf Quest. I liked all the characters except Snarf.
1: <laughs> just take the Snarf out of Snarf Quest. That's
2: right. I oh, like the little wow. robot. I like the barbaric, the warrior chick. I just didn't like Snarf. Really. I'm with
0: you because I know it was enormously popular. Obviously, it ran for a long time, and was good enough to have a collection and a couple of RPG books written about it. And uh, Knights of Dinner Table has been reprinting, or they start out reprinting some lost episodes, and Larry's continued to strip to this day in the back of Knights of Dinner Table. So to some people, it's the be-all, end-all. I, I didn't ever get it.
2: Yeah, I I mean, if you like it, wonderful. Uh, I just couldn't quite get into it, I guess. It may be you know, residual trauma I suffered from Thundercats.
1: <laughs> snarf.
2: <laughs> and, and that, you know, I hear snarf and my, my mind
0: just seizes up going, no!
1: Snarf, snarf.
0: <sighs> but Liz, you're an artist and I'm an artist. So what I find really interesting about what Larry Elmore did with Snarf Quest from an art point of view is he's primarily a painter, managed to take his style and do pen and ink. And not everyone can make that switch easily.
1: Uh, yeah, that's very true. Um, I mean, I'm, I predominantly like to do line work. And when I took watercolor for my degree, that was really hard for me. And I, you know, I incorporated the line work into my watercolors. So you kind of had a sort of weird comic booky style even there, too, um, I didn't ever take oil painting but I think that would have been very difficult for me. I would have I would have figured out a way to put lines in there as well.
0: <laughs> I it it strikes me because it, for me personally my fine art oil painting and my Bigfoot cartoon art are completely compartmentalized from each other. they I, I they're.
1: like the I like the lines. I just love them. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: well, it's not Dragon Magazine, but can I throw in an honorable mention? I sure.
1: Suppose.
2: From Space Gamer, I really enjoyed Murphy's Rules.
0: Oh, you know, if I'd been more diligent. Collection. I'd put that in the show notes if I'd been more diligent.
2: Yeah, well, that's okay. Um, I, I just love, it. it was usually one panel cartoons bringing up a rule that... Uh, from a particular game, usually role-playing games, but they occasionally did it for war games, too. And usually the comic panel was showing the, the rule being goofy. Like, there was one where a guy was, had his head on a, on a block where an executioner's there with his axe, which has been blunted, and the guy with the, on the block is grinning. And it said, you know, like, in AD&D, an average uh, you know, fighter will take three hits before um, being killed, even if he is totally unarmored and is a a straight target.
0: See, that's and, what I'm talking about. That's gamer cartoons by a gamer.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there was others with, like, in Traveler, where you had these sci-fi guys sitting in front of what looked like a 1930s radio, and the joke was that, you know, that Traveler, science fiction, adventure, in the far future computers are not as capable as... The computers we have today which at that day was like commodore 64 and it just did stuff like that little one panels talking about champions where an average person can fall from a three-story window and walk and away, walk
1: away. <laughs>
2: <laughs> stuff like that uh chival- it, it was chivalry and sorcery where you know uh unencumbered movement was like at 30 miles an hour and it had this knight wearing sneakers just racing down a hallway (laughs) just stuff like that they have a um i don't know if it's available free online or not but i know they sell some compilations of all the murphy's rules and i'll see if i can dig up a link to that on amazon if there isn't a a freebie site somewhere on the net but i always really enjoyed those out of that's the only cartoon out of space gamer that i think can think of that i enjoyed reading consistently.
0: Dude, you just took me all the way back to the start of my brother's campaign when he, when we were so new to the game. He's just rolling up random encounters on a table and so here we come across a brontosaurus in the middle of nowhere, right? And I, <laughs> and I had a scroll with polymorph other on it, so I was being a smart ass and polymorphed it into a puppy. And then we figured out we had like this 200 hit point puppy and started making money cuz we went to the <laughs> we went to the tavern and said, you know, hundred gold a shot. If you kill the puppy, we pay you a thousand. And let people bang on the protosaurus <laughs> polymorph puppy.
2: It reminds me of a story. I don't remember if it was Rob or Gary who told me about it, but something Lord Robilar did, he would like polymorph hydras and dinosaurs into like snails.
1: Oh yeah, garden slugs.
2: And then put them in in the garden outside his tower. And so when enemies would attack, he'd just cast a spell magic.
0: Way cheaper than a fireball.
2: Yeah, and then suddenly like Ah <laughs> These huge monsters and so Polymorph. Don't underestimate it. Alright, well, anything else we wanna chat about or should we move into random encounters?
0: Let's do it. How many people wanna kick some ass? There
2: are there are seven ogres surrounding you.
0: How could they surround us? I had Morton Titan's magical
2: watchdog can. No you didn't. Uh satanic fungus rises from the forest floor and says, you're playing D&D. You're playing D&D.
0: This whole apartment is playing D&D. Random Encounters.
2: Random Encounters. Encounters. And according to the notes, now we're going to be talking about modern webcomics. And I got nothing on that. So, up to you
0: two. Hmm. I, I bet I know what Liz is going to say, but I'm interested oh, in wait. hearing her answer. Oh, My favorite is Marvin the Mage. Okay, there. <laughs> I got that out of the way. All right. Go is, for it. Is this a good time to explain why there's no more Marvin the Mage?
1: Because
0: <laughs> nobody will pay me to do it, and people are paying me to write a bunch of other stuff. So I'm sorry there's no more Marvin the Mage. But...
1: It's all about the Benjamins.
0: <laughs> I mean, the end of Phineas Fingers was when uh, J.D. Webster became a Navy pilot and later an airline pilot. So stuff happens.
2: Yeah. And and doing cartoons isn't exactly what something you could do in the 80s when you're in the cockpit of a 747, you know?
0: <laughs> well, I I Liz, back me up. Let me say something on the behalf of anybody who's done comic book art. When you meet one of those individuals, shake their hand because they love what they do. Because it's, for me, I'm sure people are faster than me. Jack Kirby could do three pages a day. It's an entire day. It's 10 or 12 hours for me to do one page of comic book art, pencil, inked, and lettered. And that's for something you can read in 20 or 30 seconds. It's a lot of work. And, yeah. And, and and all the guys we've talked about have signed up for that because they love it.
2: I rem- I read last year a book called Marvel Comics, The Untold Story, which is basically a biography of the company.
0: It's a good book. I've read it.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, you remember what they were talking about in there when uh, Lee Field and – oh the other two guys, one, uh, Jim Lee
0: McFarlane. and McFarlane, that crew.
2: Yeah. Uh, went to go do image comics and the consensus was you could tell these were comics done by artists because each page usually only had one or two panels and it was all about the imagery that the story was secondary, but yeah, I mean, cause you could do just one or two panels and you're done for that entire page. And I'm sure that's a lot quicker than doing six or eight panels for a page.
0: Well, yeah, and, and like that kind of comic book style, the work's all divided up. There's a penciler, a writer, an editor, an inker. An yeah. <laughs> You're a tracer. No, and a, a colorist <laughs> and all that stuff. But the, the comics that have appeared, the D&D comics we've been talking about, that's all one-man shop stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And, and these comics we're talking about were before computers. I mean, I don't, le- I don't hand letter my cartoons anymore. I get in the computer and do it.
2: All right, sorry. Over to you guys again. Modern Web Comics.
0: I feel like I got overwound up about comics here. Sorry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, as you read the uh girl genius stuff that comes
0: on. Yeah,
1: yeah what is I, your
0: what is your favorite D and D flavored comic webcomic now?
1: Oh my gosh. I'm not sure what my favorite is. I mean I like Order of the Stick. Marvin the Mage. <laughs> I also like Marvin the Mage. I thought you were gonna <laughs> I,
0: I thought for sure you were gonna say Lemmy Adams.
1: Um well
0: you know, that one's pretty new.
1: Yeah, it is new. I don't, I wouldn't have really exactly categorized it as quote unquote gaming, but it is a very cool webcomic. And so I will take this opportunity to tell everyone, you know, check it out. It's super cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's got a very, you know, 80s comic book style feel. And you know, they the artist works very hard. You know, not only to get the the art style, you know, but he also has the backgrounds looking like those old newsprint comic book pages that start to yellow after a while. Um, so it, it's just it's really neat. He puts a lot of effort into into it, and it, it's a cool little thing. But I was trying to think of specifically RPG type. Um, web comics and yeah, I mean, <laughs> Marvin the Mage, Order the Stick. Uh, there's there's tons that are out there. I'm blanking on a whole bunch of them, but
0: I, I can jump in with my favorite a comic I adore and have followed for years called Earthworld, which is a little Guardians of the Flame. The premises: there's this uh ne'er do well Kinko's employee who's the super game master of all time, who's his life is just crap you know junk car crap job and all he wants to do is game and at the same time there's this uh other fantasy world called earth world where there's a uh one of the bad guys is about to get his kingdom killed and his ass kicked and he launches off a spell and he launches off the spell for summoning the perfect warlord at the same time this guy is gming a game for his friends and says he'd give anything to be someplace where all he could do is game and he goes there (laughs) <laughs> and uh, it's a deceptive comic. The artists have changed through it, but it, it, there's hundreds of episodes, so you can start from the beginning and read it like a novel. The uh, first artist who did the whole first book, book—it's, I mean, uh, Parson Gotti, the guy who's the protagonist, is a uh, Rubenesque figure of a man, you know, and all the <laughs> Earthworlders are about three feet tall. They're like little anime cartoon guys with just and ridiculous... Uh, metagaming, pop culture, everything's named after something in our world. So he can't figure out if he's really there, or he's had an aneurysm and a coma and <laughs> his dreamscape, or what. But, but the, but the he, first thing he has to do is learn how this new universe works, and it's all based on gaming.
1: That does remind me, though, I am blanking on the name of the webcomic, but it's basically all about these monsters that manage to get a hold of what is obviously supposed to be a an adventurer's D&D handbook. And now that they have, you know, they have the inside scoop on how adventurers act. Are you talking about
0: Rusty and Company?
1: Yeah, it may be, because they were so pissed off, you know, all of these adventurers always coming, beating them up and taking their stuff, and then they found, you know, the book, and so they're all decided, okay, we're going to start doing this, you know, and I'm going to be this fighter, and I'm going to be this thief, and I'm going to be the wizard, and, you know, it's just their, it's their adventures now, trying to make something of themselves.
0: I'm not sure if it's the same comic. Rusty and Company stopped uh, publishing because they got a D from wizards of the coast but it was a a web comic i really liked that starred a rust monster a gelatinous cube and a mimic and that was and they they decided to be player characters and they're going into the dungeon now uh, to get some no it,
1: it that that wasn't it because one of them was like this female ogre or something and um
2: yeah, didn't she want to be the thief or something?
1: Yeah, she wanted to be the thief, but she was just this huge, muscular, you know, thing. It's like, no, you got to be the fighter. It's like, <laughs> oh, I want to be the thief. You know? <laughs> oh, I cannot remember the well, name. As so soon as we find a
0: shadow th- big enough for you to hide in, we'll get uh, right on that.
1: <laughs> I'm sure someone is... Probably many people are going to ride in. It's like, I know that's that, you know. They're
2: shouting at their pot, iPods even as we speak. You
1: know, it's blah, you idiot. It's blah. i you know? oh, will try well. and
2: put it in the show notes. Come
1: on. I thought for sure I would have had it linked on my computer, but I can't find it. I'm looking. It's like, I've got it here somewhere. You know? Let
0: me consult the crystal ball while you guys talk.
1: That's right. Maybe your Google foo will save the day. But yeah that that's one of my that's one of my favorites too whatever the name of that one is and probably if you don't find it I will figure it out at 2 a.m. after we've done the podcast I'll wake up in the middle of the night it's like ah you know?
0: yeah I'm, my Google foo is weak
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh dear
2: ah <laughs> uh, well we'll see if we can put it in the show notes
0: or I'll figure it out later and just. You know, it'll be you talking and suddenly you go, Oh yeah, I remember. Do that, say that. Oh yeah, I remember the name is, and then it'll be my voice going (laughs) Oh,
1: of
2: course. (laughs) Exactly what I thought.
0: So for doing a basically a radio show about comics, I think we've done pretty well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not bad, not bad.
2: (laughs) Shall we go into Poyi?
0: Let's New Dungeons and Dragons. Power is won by finding new ways to battle.
1: I can feel the darkness inside me.
0: And being completely dragon-flapping awesome. Set comes with Spellbook, Ritual Rites, Playboard, Sacrificial Dagger, and Dice! 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 T.S.R. Hobbies Dungeons and Dragons game. Products of your imagination.
2: Products of your imagination, which is just as valid to describe comics as it is gaming. So,
1: every time you say "poi," I think of well, I think of poi and Hawaiian. A food, tropical and, fruit. Yeah. You know.
2: <laughs> yes, we've changed the podcast. It's now all about Hawaiian tropical fruit.
0: <laughs> well, since this is a theater of the mind, let's just pretend we're all wearing Hawaiian leis. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and bright um, Gary Gygax Hawaiian shirts. I have one.
2: Episode of those. 103 we'll have Charo.
1: <laughs> and I've got a big pile of fruit on my head.
2: <laughs> or Carmen Miranda. Yeah, yes, that's
0: it. See? Chara. <laughs> <laughs> that's what Crispy's listening. He's like, "Who?"
2: <laughs> What's a charo? Oh wait, like, that's a Mexican restaurant. I love that place. Cochico <laughs> <laughs>
0: You know, I don't know what moron wrote these show notes, because under products of your imagination, it's like, uh, where can these be found today? And we could read all that out on air, but it's a bunch of URLs we're going to put on the website anyway.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, they are available, except maybe Murphy's Rules. I will have to research that. I know it's for sale, um, the compendiums. And if you really are diehard, you can pick up all issues of Space Gamer. At reasonable rates, um, at least the Steve Jackson Games versions of it. If One, you try to get the earlier metagaming ones, they can be really pricey.
0: I mean, if you're a big spender and money's not your issue, Doug Ray, um, you could just <laughs> go get the Dragon Archive CD-ROM collection on eBay, which is up to—I just looked before we started the show. 250. Yeah, two fifty, three hundred.
2: Yeah. So and. And it's got all the strategic reviews on it too. So that
0: will that, get you everything in like the first 250 issues. That'll all the way yeah. up through Order, when Order of the Stick was in Dragon.
2: Well into the Taco Edition that we are forced to play on Saturdays. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, there you go. Was Phineas Fingers an AD&D universe or D&D universe?
2: Hmm. Uh, Phineas was D&D. I, I believe it was it was D&D at least Brown Book
0: D&D. Maybe yeah. Holmes, but when but yeah. S- Sergeant Rock and Easy Company showed up to help him take that city. That had to be OD.
2: Oh yeah, that's the one guerrilla warfare,
0: right? Yeah, that had to be OD and D.
2: Yeah, yeah, all the technology and yeah, it, it's got to be.
1: Ah, by the book, that's the name of it. I finally remembered.
0: So you can cut and paste that in. You snatched the Google Rock from my hand, Grasshopper. <laughs>
1: <laughs> ah. <laughs>
0: Today's Google Olympics, sponsored <laughs> by... <laughs> so I kind of like the idea that somewhere out here, that there's somebody listening to this that's never read Phineas Fingers or Wormy or Snarf Quest or What's New, that's going to go find, go to some of these links and, and get to read, you know, 50 Phineas Fingers in a row and the entirety of uh, What's New yeah, with Phil Dixie. Yeah,
2: especially fa- people are like, you know, maybe they like Phil Folio's Girl Genius or something, and they go, really? He did gaming stuff? <laughs> yep. Sure did. And... Yes? <laughs> I, I'm reading your notes. <laughs> oh. Those are the links. Is there anything yeah. else on products we need to do?
1: <laughs> um, well, at the end, you talk about rating our favorite comics, and... Um,
0: I figured we would disagree more, and instead of giving everything dragons, we would just rate each other's favorite, but... How I, we rate? I like I like what's new... Th- With Phil and Dixie, 97.5% as much as I like Phineas Fingers.
2: I like Phineas, I'd say, about 90% as much as I like What's New. See, now we got
0: something to argue about. That's well done.
2: (laughs) That (laughs) damn 7.5%.
0: Hang on, let me put that in the dyslexia calculator. Okay, that (laughs) means the two comic strips average out to 4.92875 dragons. (laughs) I did that in my head while miming a calculator no one can see. Never had one lesson.
2: <laughs> ah, so, yeah, I I want to go back and read Jasmine, but... I,
0: you know what's really happening is, I guarantee you there's somebody listening to this episode Just just going, I wish they'd go back and review the X-Series of modules.
2: <laughs> They're talking about this when I want to know about
1: X5. <laughs> I swear to God we're going to get back to the X-Series.
2: honestly. But Jim has been... We, this was originally put up for what episode 96 97
1: yeah, and it kept kicking his K-
2: back because of john peterson then ethan gilsdorf Dude, then- i
0: used to date a redhead just like you i mean you're like i have to do all the show notes and I'm like i'll do some show notes and then that episode gets shoved like 20 episodes out
2: hey at least i got shoved i used to make show notes and i was be told no nah, we don't want to do that <laughs> and we're and told Friday, you know, the show's on Saturday, and it's like, yeah, you know, those notes you submitted, we said we were gonna, no, nah, we're not gonna do that. I wanna do this. Well, okay, okay you...
0: fine. All right. you win. I just spent You're...
2: all week studying for this
0: topic. <laughs> and,
2: okay, sure, whatever.
0: Okay, you win. You're cooler than that. So, <laughs>
2: yeah, I could be worse. At least I felt really guilty about kicking it down the road. Well, really, I'm, that worst... Counts for something.
1: I'm worst of all because I never even bother to submit show notes at all. <laughs>
0: she doesn't. It's true. Oh, I bet you do. I bet you wait till Mike falls asleep and you're like, we should do an episode on Darlene.
2: <laughs> episode on my little pony, pony, pony. Yes!
1: Oh! An entire episode all about Pony Finder. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it was weird. A game Saturday, you know, Liz and I are making po- my little pony jokes and... The weirdest part is my DM and his brother keep going on about, you know, no, it's actually a lot more serious than you think. I'm like,
0: really? (laughs) It would almost have to be. (laughs) I'm so tired, I can't remember which podcast I'm on. Was this the one where the guy wrote us that is a Pathfinder, My Little Pony book? Yeah. Um,
2: Well, somebody mentioned it on an email, and the guy, you know, the DM's brother in our gaming group had talked about it at one game session i just thought he was just home brewing something but then i found out holy crap it's a real book it's a
0: it's real (laughs) i gotta make sure it's available in print but i'm totally buying that book as a gift for uh someone at gary condisher who shall remain nameless
2: Hmm, i wonder who is he an evil wizard
0: no (laughs) (laughs) well i don't know i don't think so
2: (laughs) (laughs) not to my knowledge all right. Well, I guess that leaves us at the end of another episode. Here we are down the road, the, the very well-drawn dirt road leading into the, to the distance on, on, a, on a half-page splash panel. How are we heading down this well-drawn road? Jim?
0: I'm totally going down the road cosplaying board flak. I've got the foster grant glasses, the blue robes, and the little sight on my finger, because at this range I seldom miss.
2: What about the Thompson?
0: Oh yeah, the Wand of Slung Magic up your Missiles. Pack? Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Cool. How about you, Liz?
1: Well, I'm going down that road reading this incredibly interesting book that those adventurers dropped on their way out. <laughs>
2: I'm gonna you don't learn be a the kobold route. queen anymore. You can get an adventurer. <laughs>
1: That's right. I will. T- I will take my kobolds and lead them to glory with this book.
0: Get well, get uh, get the uh, mind flares. Get them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. They will no longer oppress my people.
2: <laughs> Avenge them. Well. I would be going down the dirt road, but instead I am floating in a, in a sea of uh, three-dimensional soap bubbles, and in each bubble is a different pool cue or, or, or billiard ball, as I tell everyone about the, my long-planned mission that was ten issues back and nobody knows what I'm talking about, but I
0: look Marvelous. Dude, if I was gonna ride on something from Wormy Comic, it would be that white uh, Arctic uh, centaur chick from that one. Yeah. Okay. Good. I'm just saying. That leaves us
2: at the end of episode 102. <laughs> Ooh, I have
0: to give I have to give up my feminist card now because she was topless. Ah, <laughs> uh, there you go. Well,
2: you could be riding and helping her to cover. Anyway.
0: Yeah.
2: See everybody <laughs> in episode
1: 103. <laughs> Bye. See ya. golf And we're out. The
0: Sacred Eye Podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with D20Radio.com. The Sacred Eye theme music is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at MississippiBones.BagCamp.com. Pink Pearl Erasers and Croquil Pins for tonight's episode were provided by the Cartoonist League of America, cartooning for a safer world and a better tomorrow. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save or Die. Or I'll hey.